I was astounded to see that the Peterson Institute for International Economics, that Nick Lardy, their China specialist, yeah. says the Chinese imports and exports for 2021 will be up 30%, each of them. That's, that's amazing. Okay. Well, thank you very much. That's Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent over in Washington, D.C. You also heard Nick Marrow, lead for global trade at the Economist Intelligence Unit, and Mark Michelson, who is chair of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's go around Asian markets again this morning in Australia. The ASS. ASX 200 slipping further into negative territory, down 0.8% now. Uh, in Japan, the Nikkei 225 has lost its gains. That's also down 0.1%. Uh, over in South Korea, the Cosby is up uh, at around about 0.8%. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to see a flat open in just under an hour's time. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil, $70.22 a barrel. Gold right now uh, is trading at $1,775 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for Back Chats with Jim Gould and Anna Fenton. The weather forecast for today is going to be rather cool in the morning, very dry during the day, maximum temperature of about 20 degrees. Fine and very dry in the next couple of days, still rather cool in the mornings. The temperature right now is 15 degrees. It's 46% relative humidity. The red fire danger warning is in force, as is the strong monsoon signal. It's 8.31 and a half. Here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. Researchers at the University of Hong Kong say they've successfully isolated the Omicron variant from COVID-19 specimens. They say it's a crucial step towards the development and production of vaccines against Omicron, which has spread rapidly around the world. Aaron Tam reports. This is the first time in Asia in which a research team has successfully been able to isolate the variant, the university said. It added the team is testing its transmissibility and immune evasion capability, as well as exploring opportunities for the urgent development and production of inactivated whole virus vaccines. The HKU team succeeded in isolating the variant late Monday, four days after the first two Omicron cases were confirmed in the SAR, and five days after the variant was first reported to the World Health Organization from South Africa. Infectious diseases expert Yun Kwok Yung, who led the research project, said the team recognized the serious threat of the variant and jumped into action immediately. Isolating the variant is the first step in the urgent study of the variant, he said. The government says travel restrictions will be tightened for arrivals from Japan, Portugal and Sweden due to the Omicron variant. Over a dozen countries have been added to the Group A high-risk category, meaning non-residents and non-vaccinated Hong Kongers are barred from entering. Fully vaccinated residents must do 21 days in quarantine. Vicky Wong reports. From Friday, non-Hong Kong residents who've spent time in these three countries in the previous three weeks will be banned from entering the SAR. As for fully vaccinated Hong Kong residents, they will have to be quarantined for 21 days at a designated hotel and undergo regular testing. Officials said the move was made after Japan, Portugal and Sweden reported imported COVID-19 cases involving the Omicron variant. The government had earlier tightened travel restrictions on arrivals from 12 countries in Africa, requiring Hong Kong residents returning from those places to spend the first week of their 21-day quarantine at the Penny's Bay Quarantine Centre. The Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis has said that any citizens over 60 years old who don't get vaccinated against the coronavirus will face monthly fines of 113 US dollars. The Prime Minister insisted he was not trying to punish people. 
δεν είναι ποινή. Θα έλεγα ότι είναι ένα αντίτιμο υγείας. It's not a punishment. I would say it's a health fee, an incentive for precaution, a life boost. And I think it's also an act of justice for the people who are vaccinated. It's not acceptable for some people to be deprived of the health services they need because others stubbornly refuse to do the obvious. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Anna Fenton. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, everybody. This morning we're talking about the gaming industry in Macau after some uh, major developments there in the past few days. Macau casino shares uh, traded here slumped on Monday after police arrested uh, 11 people at the weekend for alleged money laundering and illegal cross-border gambling. Alvin Chow, head of the Macau casino junket operator Sun City Group, has been remanded in custody in the SAR in Macau after authorities in Wenzhou in mainland China issued an arrest warrant for him. Uh, such uh, junket operators act as go-betweens, uh, bringing uh, big spending visitors to the casinos, extending them credit and collecting interest on their debts. There's also uncertainty surrounding the future of the casino sector with uh, gaming concessions due to expire in the middle of next year. And uh, later in the programme from about uh, 9.15, uh, we'll be talking about uh, AIDS and HIV with today, December the 1st, being World AIDS Day. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page at Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88-266. And uh, joining us uh, this morning uh, on the line, we have uh, Steve Vickers, the CEO of Steve Vickers and Associates, uh, a specialist at political and corporate risk consultancy, and uh, also uh, Ben Lee, a managing partner with uh, iGame, uh, iGamix uh, Management and Consulting. Um, Steve Vickers, good morning. Maybe we can start with you. Good morning. Steve, uh, so it seems as though there's a crackdown uh, in the mainland uh, going on against uh, illegal gambling and uh, online gambling. Um, so to what extent is uh, Macau going to be uh, caught up in this? Oh, I mean, Macau's right, right at the heart of this. Um, I, I think what's going on is that to the, to the, the tactical, at the tactical level, we can see action against um, effectively organised crime groups operating, illegally operating... Uh, by picking funds up on the mainland, uh, operating, um, mo moving funds around Southeast Asia now and facilitating illegal gambling by mainlanders uh, through proxies and other methods. So that, that's at one level, at a tactical level. At a strategic level, the, the, the lack of decisions yet as to what's going to happen with the concessions, which technically expire in June, the big gaming concessions, that is, for the casinos, uh, is also causing um, uh, considerable disquiet, either lack of, um, the lack of um, transparency as to, as to what is actually going to occur. And the third level are, are political changes associated with making Macau less dependent on gaming. So at the moment, 80% of Macau's GDP is derived one way or other, another from the gaming business. Um, clearly, the, the central government and the chief executive of Macau wish, wish to diversify Macau, so there are political changes too. So we've got criminal issues on, on a large scale involving junkets, 
COVID has made it worse by putting pressure uh, on, on everybody and significant changes associated with um, with the movement of money. I mean, essentially, the junkets have for years uh, moved uh, ballistic sums of money uh, from the mainland uh, into Macau and then and upwards. Uh, this is this is coming to an end. So. A whole series of activities all going at once, all negatively impacting the market. Um, morning, Steve. Just, morning. just, just for idiots like me, what, what exactly is the word junket? What does it mean to to the layman? Well, it, it, essentially, it, these are the guys that that identify punters, uh, people who want to bet, afford them credit, sometimes raise money, sometimes, and move the money. Uh, move the money from the mainland to Macau or elsewhere, as it seems to be happening lately, uh, in flagrant breach of the um, uh, of capital control regulations. Right. So, so, so it's, it's you know to most people, junk it means something else. But in this case, it's actually a combination of loan sharks and money launderers and facilitators for gamblers. Well, again, it, it, they operate in a grey zone. Uh, the casinos operate legally in that what they do is legal, but how the money gets. To, to them, um, in the first place, is largely facilitated by by, by junkies. Some of them are okay, but unfortunately, the, the a large number of them have triad connections and organised crime connections, and uh, basically, the nature of halls of vacuum. So, organised crime has moved into the uh, has moved into the. It, it's illegal to move more than a certain amount of money across the border. Yet, at its very height, like when when it was Macau was boom boom at one. Point, officially recorded revenues for gaming from which the Macau government derived its um, revenue was at its height 40 billion, 40 plus billion United States dollars. And that excluded the nefarious activities in the VIP rooms, which conservatively you could multiply four or five times that. So it was a very huge, at its height, it was a huge issue. It was acquiesced to at the time, uh, but the new government in Beijing is very, uh, very strong. Uh, I think very strong on this, uh, and there's a significant crackdown. And also economically, uh, capital outflows on that scale uh, just can't be tolerated. So for all of those kind of reasons, that's why well, that, that's why a lot of things are happening at once. Right. So Beijing takes a huge tax slice of the proceeds from Macau, doesn't it? What percentage is that? It's not Beijing. It's Macau. Macau. So uh, what I percentage? Got exactly, but it, it's not as big as it's not as big as you'd think. Uh, and the the um, uh, if you actually, I wrote a paper last week. Uh, amazingly, it happened to be 48 hours before the um, before the wheel came off the wagon following the um, uh, f- following the arrests. But the big foreign operators have managed to repatriate uh, all of their um, all of their profits uh, offshore, less the uh, less the tax via dividend so, payments. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- th- this, of course, is the subject. I think as. Uh, again, from a shareholder's point of view, people are going to be looking at, is that likely to continue post the new concessions? Uh, are the same shareholders likely to have the same percentage? Will, will for example, the government uh, insist on a much heavier local shareholding involvement than, than, than currently? Because it's only 10%, isn't it, right now? Yeah, that's right. And would, the, would for example, would there be much stronger... Um, Regulations about the repatriation of, um, of of profits. So the big the, the big foreign firms obviously are watching this. Many of them have said, "Don't worry, everything will be fine." Uh, I think the Macau situation it really does accurately show what classic political risk is in China today. 
Um, a lot of this is not the end of the world. I mean, I'm not. Nobody's saying that, that Macau is going to be shut down or whatever. It's more uh, bringing it into the 21st century and eliminating uh, the unhealthy elements. Um, uh, the, the chief executive of Macau in his policy address actually mentioned healthy development. Healthy development is a phrase that is consistent with um, wider political changes on the mainland. Is that an oxymoron, healthy development, with all that goes with gambling? Well, gambling is, is what it is. Um, I think the Macau government, under direction from Beijing, it seems to be quite determined to diversify from a total reliance, an almost total reliance on gaming. Um, and obviously this coincides with the imminent end of the concession, so it does give the government the mainland and the Macau government significant leverage to make whatever changes they want. So what could they do? I mean, the story of Macau is gambling and gambling, isn't it? Right, but the, I think perhaps the optic that we look at Macau, you and I are long, long-time Hong Kongers, um, so we, you know, we look at Hong Kong and Macau through one optic, but I think in the context of the, the Great Bay Area and the, the um, central government's vision, uh, perhaps uh, they want to move from everything goes gaming hell to uh, integrated part of the GVA with a focus on um, tourism. I think that's probably what the plan is, and, and I think they have the opportunity to make these changes either in June if they want to this year. They obviously could extend it a bit longer, but it's going to be a, different, a significantly different situation uh, than, than we've seen before. So the recent arrests, I think, although interesting, are, are, are a, um, they're just a tactical, a tactical aspect of, of, of very significant changes. OK, well, let's bring in uh, Ben Lee, managing partner of uh, iGamex uh, Management and Consulting. Uh, good morning. Good morning, ben Jim. Lee, good morning. Um, uh, just to uh, uh, check quickly, um, have I got the pronunciation of the company name correct? Is that is iGamex? Yes, that's right. iGamix. Right. I, 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 I okay, okay, good, good. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, so um, talking about uh, these uh, 11 arrests that we saw over the weekend, um, what do you think that's likely to have, what effect is that likely to have um, on the uh, junket uh, operators and, uh, and then in a wider sense the uh, casino industry in Macau? Well, uh, as Steve Vickers mentioned, that the raison d'etre for the existing existence of the general operation in Macau has always been there to fill a uh, niche, to fill it in a gap that the casino operators uh, are unable, you know, in terms of activities that the casino operators are unable to conduct. And one of them is primarily the uh, marketing, the identification and promotion of... Uh, gambling activities uh, from Macau into China to rec identify, recruit the players, arrange for them to come to Macau, and eventually for the, uh, the transfer of funds uh, from the mainland to Macau as well. So the jungle operators fulfill a necessary niche, and through them, uh, it en they enable the growth, uh, the explosive growth of the Macau uh, gaming industry following liberalization. Now, having said that, junkers have always been in Macau since Stanley Hostad first started his monopoly. It was him who basically incepted this concept of the junket operators, uh, firstly to uh, bring players in from Hong Kong and later on uh, to bring players in from uh, China. 
So without the junkets, uh, and, and the junkets at one stage, at their peak, they accounted for somewhere in the vicinity of about 60 to 70% of gross gaming revenue. In the last two years, uh, following the advent of COVID, uh, their share of the gross gaming revenue, which is a metric that we use uh, commonly, has dropped to around 30%. Uh, however, having to, and, and even though most analysts look their contribution in terms of EBITDA is very low, but the reality is uh, their contribution to the bottom line in terms of uh, covering the, uh, the overhead expenses is still significant. So if you were to take away 20% uh, uh, in terms of uh, gross giving revenue, you're actually removing a sizable chunk of revenue that currently goes towards uh, covering all the casino operators' uh, overheads. And without that segment, uh, the path to recovery for the uh, casino operators is going to become all that much harder. So, Ben, can you explain what the relationship between the junket operators and the legitimate casino concessionaires is then? Well, the junket operators are otherwise known as uh, junket promoters. They are essentially third-party license license agents uh, that are that basically bring in customers whether it be from China, Hong Kong, or anywhere else in Asia, in return for either a commission of the volume that the players generate, right. or more commonly in recent times, a percentage of the revenue uh, that the players generate for the casinos. And would this be through uh, the books now, or off the books? Yeah. No, no, these are all in the books. Okay. Well, it, there, there are actually two parts to that, Anna. So... You have what we call on-the-table revenue. That is uh, what the players uh, do back on the table. And then there's another uh, part of uh, the gaming that we call, uh, or I coined the phrase, the multiplier uh, (laughs) back uh, in 2015. So the multiplier is essentially a uh, a factor by which whatever bet is on the table, let's say a dollar bet on the table, could become a $5 bet which basically means that $4 is under the table between the junket operators and the player. And that under-the-table uh, side bet is not recognized, is not uh, taxed. Right. Uh, and and Steve, Steve alluded to that when he says, you know, there's a difference between the formal revenue and the informal revenue. So the, the junket operators are third-party agents, but uh, having said that, in the recent uh, landmark case in Macau, uh, the uh, courts in Macau have adjudicated that the, the casino operators are now liable and responsible for the actions of the junket operators on their premises. Mm. Right. So this has implications going forward with yeah. uh, the latest development and the, the 
uh, detention of uh, Sun, of, uh, Sun City's boss. Sure. OK, um, a message here on our Facebook uh, from Henry. Henry writes, uh, uh, for the arrests uh, in Macau, uh, this is not surprising. Junket operations in Macau are filled with triad groups, money laundering and illegal operations. It's a known fact for decades. I knew in my youth days already that casinos in Macau have a huge revenue from big money gamblers would make uh, any person with a questioning mind ask uh, how, uh, where those uh, monies uh, come from. Where do these uh, gamblers come from? Uh, how and through what channels do they come down to Macau? If you tell me that they come uh, on their own and uh, with their own arrangements, uh, you must be kidding. Um, that from Henry. Um, uh, Steve Vickers, then, w would you now expect that uh, the casinos are going to be uh, more careful in their relationships with the junket operators? The, the casinos have technically been le legal. So, I, mean, I gave evidence in the... Um in the Crown Casino inquiry in um, in Australia last mm. year, uh, and, and I was attacked by various clever lawyers. Um, um, but in the end, the bottom line is, through technical reasons and legal reasons, what goes on in the casino is legal. Uh, how the money gets there, uh, the list of I mean, huge amounts uh, is highly organised and in flagrant breach of. Um, uh, of, of, of mainland capital control regulations mm. that has continued and been tolerated all and I think acquiesced is probably the right word for many years I'm detecting now from a political point of view that that's just not uh, that, that that's not on so I think with the new with the with the concession renewal whatever the new deal is and whatever the new shareholdings uh, will be I, I think the the, the, the days of, of, of this vast uh, movement of funds by junkets, the, the, these days are, are over. Uh, I think what happened more recently was the junket sector got simultaneously squeezed by COVID, by government action, by extreme pressure on, on capital controls, which is frankly an almost fatal combination. They got a bit more desperate, so hence the... Um, the, 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 the allegations, I know one's been convicted yet, but the allegations of, um, uh, apart from raising funds on the mainland, actually arranging proxy gambling and even casino gaming uh, on the illegally uh, on the mainland, which has got out of control. Um, and I, I think uh, there were problems of liquidity within some of these uh, junket operators, uh, some highly publicized, uh, one highly particularly highly publicized, case where an accountant ran away with the cage holdings from from inside a casino operated by a uh, by a junket so the, the i think the, the whole junket game is is, is 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 changed radically and i don't think the central government is going to stand for what what went on before i mean there were reasons why they perhaps i use the word acquiesced why they acquiesced to this um Five, six, seven years ago, China was in, in, in fear of, of inflation. Again, we're, we're coming back around to that. So venting, um, venting capital through, um, through Macau had, a, in a certain way, a sterilizing impact. Of course, it put money in other people's pockets at the same time. So that was why some of the nonsense continued for a very long time. Uh, and the, the, we, uh, Ben mentioned the um, Stanley Ho's version of... Um, of original junkets. The original junkets just basically paid him a percentage uh, and they would be quite happy 
the modern version, the junket operators now apparently are under control, apparently are supervised by the um, the casino itself. But to Ben's point again, uh, nobody really knows if if, if it's a hundred dollar or or a ten thousand dollar bet in actuality, and that 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 means that 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 those funds are not taxed by the government or the taxpayer. So the the, uh, the central government's a loser. They, uh, Macau. Uh, is a loser, and organised crime is a winner. So this is this is at the nub and the heart of of the problem in Macau and why the triads are involved. Um, the other reason that junkets uh, were helpful, obviously, is it's illegal to enforce a gaming debt uh, in mainland China. Um, so what sort of people can do that? It's not Mother Teresa. Uh, it's it's um, uh, it, it's triad-related people. So that's one of the other reasons that. Um, the junkets were so successful for um, for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Right. Ben, um, <laughs> looking online now, is the future, if we play the movie forward, is the future of gambling in a physical space, or is this all going to become old hat anyway and become an online activity with cryptocurrency being the, the money that's moved around? How do you see this going forward? Um, if China is dead on... Uh, the physical gaming industry, it is even more stringent uh, against the online industry. <laughs> so, yeah. um, Philippines uh, in Manila, uh, prior to that, it was, uh, it was in Cambodia, uh, where there's a basically vast network of uh, online gaming operators essentially targeting China. Yeah. Uh, they, they moved to the Philippines, and uh, it's, it's a game of... Uh, uh, um, Whack-a-mole. So, you know, they, they shut the online down in a particular country. All the online operators would just move to another. Now, the online gaming industry uh, was uh, estimated by one operator in the Philippines as around, uh, as being around $125 uh, billion. $125 billion US dollars per annum. And, and my own research uh, probably puts it at about uh, just a bit below that, but I'll take that 125. And uh, it has resulted in China coming up, coming out with a series of anti-gambling edicts, as well as uh, lists of uh, jurisdictions uh, that they have uh, blacklisted. Having said that, they haven't actually stipulated the jurisdictions they have blacklisted. Our suspicion is that it's different tiers of. Uh, treatment that they will apply to different countries. And it is our contention that Macau is part of the blacklist, uh, although probably the most lenient one, in that, uh, you know, they are now currently monitoring uh, and physically, individually approving visitors to Macau. And this latest development uh, confirms our suspicion that uh, Macau is not exempt, as some may have expected. But just, and I just, if I just add a little bit clarity going back to what Steve Nicker said about um, uh, gaming revenue. So, you know, although officially our, our gaming revenue peaked in 2013 at $45 billion US, if you were to consider the fact that statistically the casino operators get to retain around about 20, 23% of every dollar that a player brings into the casino. So for $100, Every hundred dollar that a player brings into the casino, the casino will theoretically hold about twenty percent or twenty dollars of that. 
So for the casino to hold $45 billion in 2013, that means the amount of cash that would have to flow into the casino across the table would have been five times that of $225 billion. Now, if we would add on uh, what we call the, the side betting, uh, we estimated that uh, the amount of cash that flowed uh, into the gaming industry in, in Macau in 2013 was close to 600 billion US dollars. And I think that that uh, will basically uh, explain why China is uh, cracking down so hard mm. on both the physical as well as the online. And the online is an even faster growing uh, industry in recent times because of COVID. Right. So if the casino keeps 20, 25 percent, just give us an idea of where the rest of the money goes, of the rest of the gambling dollar. Uh, basically, that goes back into the pocket of the uh, of the uh, punter. So he comes into the casino with $100. Uh, the casino keeps 20, 20 percent of that, or $20. The player gets, an, uh, gets to keep $80. But because the cash has flowed from China into Macau, and it's already in the form of Hong Kong dollars, guess what? That money does not necessarily go back in China. It's already in Hong Kong dollar. And as we know, the Hong Kong dollar is freely convertible into any other currency. And the trend in the past has always been either to keep it Hong Kong dollars in Hong Kong or to take it out to Australia, Canada, the US, or even the UK in other currencies. So it's an efficient now, laundry. Uh, you, you so you, you mentioned crypto. So China, we, we postulated, and I have hypothesized that uh, back in August last year, that China will introduce the digital renminbi into Macau, uh, and it will replace the Hong Kong dollar with the renminbi in Macau uh, right. in the general economy, as well as particularly in the gaming industry. Okay, okay. Now, sorry, I'm, so, that, I'm, I'm sorry, Ben Lee. I'm yeah, sorry, sorry. So, sorry to interrupt you. Please hold that thought. We'll talk some more about cryptocurrencies uh, after nine o'clock. We've got to take a break uh, for the news summary. Uh, we'll be back at three minutes past. Um, uh, just before that, a quick uh, look at the weather. Uh, it's going to be fine. Uh, rather cool, uh, very dry during the day. Top temperature around 20 degrees. Uh, uh, what's the outlook? Fine and dry in the next couple of days. Uh, it's currently 16 degrees. Humidity 43%. The red fire danger warning is in effect, as is the strong monsoon signal. Okay. And welcome back to Backchat uh, with Anna Fenton and me, Jim Gould. And this morning in our main topic, uh, we're talking about the uh, gaming industry in Macau. That after a number of arrests over the weekend for alleged uh, money laundering and illegal cross-border gambling and also the uh, uncertainty uh, surrounding the future of the casino sector with the gaming concessions due to expire in the middle of next year. Um, before nine o'clock, we heard from Steve Vickers, the CEO of Steve Vickers and Associates. Uh, uh, thanks very much uh, to Steve Vickers for being on the programme. Didn't get a chance to thank you before we broke uh, for the news. Uh, uh, still with us is uh, Ben Lee, uh, managing department uh, man sorry, managing partner of uh, iGameX uh, Management and Consulting Limited. Um, ben Lee, uh, you were talking uh, just before the break about uh, cryptocurrencies and how, how crypto could uh, come into the picture. Um, could, would you like to continue there? Sure, uh, Jim. So, uh, but China's digital renminbi is not exactly a, a crypto in the broad sense of the world. Uh, it does it does have features of a crypto in that uh, it, 
it is anonymous. It, it uses uh, encryption key. But unlike crypto, uh, the digital renminbi is uh, transparent to the, the central authorities. Uh, so by introducing China's uh, version uh, of the crypto into Macau uh, and replacing the Hong Kong dollar, what it means is they no longer have to try and control uh, the, the hundreds of thousands of underground transactions that occur to get the money from China out to Macau. Uh, they will be able to track it when people start using digital renminbi. And uh, by replacing the Hong Kong dollar with the renminbi in the casino, what that means is the casinos will in the future start making their profits in renminbi, not Hong Kong dollar. And it will be uh, incumbent uh, upon the uh, casino operators to then apply to the central authorities for permission to convert their RMB profits into foreign currencies and then to repatriate that. So, you know, in a nutshell, the digital RMB will solve a lot of the issues uh, that are currently uh, surrounding the gaming industry in Macau. So if you're um, the Venetian uh, headquartered in Las Vegas with an American um, ownership structure, how does this look to you? In terms of the concession? Uh, well, everything really. You know, we've, we've got the concessions okay. coming up for rebid in, in mid-2022. Um, you know, we yeah. could look at this and see that... Um, the investors, the, the founders have invested all this money in building up the infrastructure and the casinos, and they risk losing all of that. Is, is that how it looks, or how do you see it transpiring? Well, there, there are a couple of ways to look at it, Anna. So the first way is that um, it was always a BOT model, build, operate, and transfer. The casino operators knew that they had 20 years to build out the concessions to recover their return, and upon expiry of the concession, the casino and everything within it reverts to the government. Right. So there's absolutely no quibble about that. And eventually the same thing will happen to the hotels, which has a much longer lifespan. Now, so this concession tendering is a new concession, concession tendering process whereby any newcomer can participate in. If I were the Americans, I'd be very nervous. Uh, the whole issue started with uh, their, new, their, their ex-president, Donald Trump, coming in to power and starting a trade war with China. Mm -hmm. And what that did was it resulted in the concession process uh, being delayed and delayed and delayed while Beijing tried to figure out what to do uh, or how to handle Trump because two of the American concessions were actually pretty closely aligned with Donald Trump. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah. Ellison. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, and and going back before that, Anna, uh, when China allowed Macau to liberalise the gaming industry, there were originally supposed to be only three concessions, and the Americans would only get one third, mm. win, and the other two would go towards the uh, local boys. Uh, somehow, uh, and 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 I don't believe China has fully been able to accept the explanation. Three became six. And more inexplicably, the Americans end up owning 50% of the six concessions. And here we are. And this is the first chance Beijing has to reset the table and to <laughs> reframe the industry. So, so you know, the chance, you know, what, what was uh, 
the local chat on the ground was the Americans' concessions would be at risk, uh, and they were advised uh, quite a while ago to either to dilute their equity or to find local partners. And if they don't, and if they don't do so, then they run the risk of actually not getting a new concession. And I think this is what the uh, stock market collapse uh, reflected. That you know, for a long time, the financial investment community were let, let basically uh, in, lulled into a false sense of security, and that the Americans they would not be touched. You know, Beijing will not touch them because the repercussions were immense. Uh, but look at what they did to their own uh, uh, big players in terms of Alibaba, in terms of the education industry. Nothing is too big for Beijing to touch. And I think that's the byword uh, for today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So what about the Australian involvement? Because there's Crown and, and another aspect of this, isn't there? Well, Crown involvement and crowns uh, on uh, saga in china whereby 17 of their staff were arrested detained and eventually charged and adjudicated uh, uh, with uh, criminal behavior that should have been a big warning mm. and and that eventually led to crown's uh, departure from uh, macau so Crown had a joint venture involvement with Malco, but mm. following that incident, Crown sold out of Macau. Uh, now, that should have been a big warning to the, the Macau casino operators. They did. They stopped the uh, marketing activities in China and became more heavily reliant on the German operators. But eventually, uh, like anything, the lure of money is uh, too irresistible. And they started pivoting from general operators towards their own casino marketing executives. Uh, and then they came up with this thing called uh, Premium Mass, which essentially is a new name for what used to be called direct VIP business. Right. Whereby rather than rely on the general agents to go and identify and recruit the players from them in the mainland, they send their own marketing executives into the mainland to recruit the players. Okay, okay. Uh, That's interesting because another email just dropped uh, from Alonso saying, please ask your guests, uh, how does premium mass gaming differ from VIP and whether the clampdown on junkets will also affect uh, premium mass? Well, uh, I think you've uh, answered that. Yeah, you just explained, uh, Ben Lee, what is premium mass. But is is that also likely to be um, uh, vulnerable to uh, a crackdown? Uh, yes, yes and no. So premium mass is a very loose category that does not exist in any official definition in Macau, nor in Singapore, Australia, uh, USA, or anywhere else where you have this big established multinational industry. It was a term coined in Macau in 2014 when VIP players would spend less time in the, in the junket rooms, in the VIP rooms, and probably more time in the mass area to escape being identified because of the anti-corruption and anti-ostentation campaign in 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very loose definition. So in 2014, 2015, when this first came up, opinion mass was, the, as, as I mentioned earlier, the VIP direct customers that went direct to the casinos. They didn't want to do with junkets. Uh, and the, the qualifying threshold for a, 
VIP direct or premium ads in those days were, it ranged from 50,000, uh, what we call ADP or average do, daily theoretical win. That's how much the casino would statistically make from each player in Hong Kong dollars per day in order to call them a, a VIP direct or premium match. So it would range from 50,000 a day up to 250,000 a day. Fast forward to 2021, a premium mass player these days could be as low as 1,000 Hong Kong ADT to up to 10,000 Hong Kong ADT. So that, that range now is nothing more than uh, basically a mass market. Right. Uh, and it, because of intense competition between the casino operators, uh, you know, they've dropped the criteria, they've diluted the threshold, and they're starting to get more and more. All right, so, so Ben... Um, mass is a bit of a perfect... Right, Ben, just a quick question here. You mentioned Singapore. SANS, as we know, operates in Singapore. Is Singapore poised to take up some of the slack from the transition phase of all of this, do you think? No. Singapore did not recognise any of the established jungle operators. They would not allow jungle operators to operate in Singapore. They have what's called marketing agents, who are essentially very similar third party, who will uh, recommend customers to the casinos, but will be liable for any debt that in terms of credit that the casino operators would extend to the players. So you, you get some recognition but you end up with a lot of risk. So uh, that distance is extremely small and it's significant in Singapore. Okay, okay. Um, uh, just before we uh, wrap up uh, this uh, subject this morning, our main subject, uh, let's just step back a little bit uh, and look at the uh, bigger picture. So uh, uh, Steve Vickers uh, referred to his recent paper where he he, he pointed out that um, the Macau chief executive, Ho Yat Seng, uh, didn't have much to say about the, the government's plans for Macau's casino sector in his uh, policy address, um, which was somewhat surprising. Given that the concessions are due to end in June 2022, and then um, looking at the uh, plan for the Greater Bay Area, the idea is that Macau will be transformed into uh, a world-class leisure centre and a commerce and trade cooperation service platform. So, so um, Ben, do you think uh, in the future that Macau may be uh, moving away from its uh, dependency on uh, casino revenue, which, uh, which makes up uh, what 80% of uh, government revenue? Yes, correct. Mm -hmm. um, we have no choice now. So we've been playing a delaying game in Macau. So, you know, we've been saying, yes, we will diversify, we'll do all that, but lack of action by both the government and the private sector, uh, simply and purely because gaming makes much more money than any, any non-gaming activity. Uh, but we are now, uh, we have no choice, and the chief executive himself has been tasked as co-head of this develop, cooperation development zone in Henshin Island, and the uh, the resetting or the reframing of the concession will be crucial towards this. So we expect that a significant term or requirement of the new concession will be basically mandatory investment in non-gaming component, and uh, that non-gaming investment will be directed to Henshin Island. Mm -hmm. So the, the new concession winners will basically have no choice but 
to invest significantly in non-gaming and, and likely in Hinchin Island if they want to have a chance at making money from gaming in Macau. Okay, well, thanks very much for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. Uh, ben Lee, their managing partner of uh, iGameX uh, Management and Consulting. And before nine o'clock, we heard from Steve Vickers, CEO of Steve Vickers & Associates, uh, a specialist political and corporate risk consultancy. Um, uh, um, before we move on to our, our next subject, uh, another email here from Mark. Um, this relates to what you and I were talking about during the break, Anna. It says, uh, junket has been around for a long time and is a term used in the travel trade to define free travel or promotional travel. Well, that's what we were saying, right? Our understanding of a junket is it's a free trip. But, uh, yes, it's but, a bit but, confusing, but, the but, definition but in, in the Macau sense. In the Macau, in the Macau context, uh, it's a little bit different, obviously. But um, anyway, interesting uh, discussion. Thanks for... Uh, our contributors and to everybody who wrote in there. Um, we're turning our attention for, for the last uh, 10 minutes or so of this morning's programme to uh, World AIDS Day. And we have uh, with us in the studio, thanks for joining us, uh, Andrew Chiji, who's uh, Chief Executive of uh, AIDS Concern Hong Kong. So, um, <clears throat> Andrew, um, thanks. Uh, good morning. Um, thank you for joining us. Good morning. So, um, so here we are in 2021, and the picture is very different now, isn't it, from when uh, AIDS was first uh, identified uh, almost almost 40 years ago, 30, 37 years ago, something like that. Yeah. It, you're right. It's very different today, thankfully. We're, we're surrounded by news about COVID, uh, so we're hearing it all this morning and continuing over months. But HIV has been here for 37 years in Hong Kong, so the first case diagnosed in 1984. And we've actually seen over 11,000 people in Hong Kong diagnosed HIV positive since that time. Uh, so it's, this is an infection that hasn't gone away. Um, so worldwide, it's, it's much, much bigger than that, of course. It's, um, it's the case that more than 36 million people have died of HIV AIDS since it started. So today on World AIDS Day around the world, you will see events and activities happening where people commemorate the, the, the lives lost to HIV AIDS, but also remind people that we still need to work to prevent new cases. So, um, working as a counsellor, I see that there's, there's quite a lot of chemsex parties in Hong Kong at the moment, which is very surprising given COVID. Um, for those who don't know, a chemsex party is where people indulge in drugs and sex at the same party. And I hear that, oh, well, if you're taking PrEP, the drug PrEP, that you're safe and that, that makes it all okay. How do you see that working or not working? I think there are, there are people at serious risk of HIV infection in Hong Kong. So we know that there are a number of risk factors. One is having unsafe sex, so that's without condoms, without taking care. Uh, if people take drugs and have alcohol while they're um, they're having sex as well, they're less likely to use condoms, so the risk of HIV transmission is higher as well. Um, so we do have to remind people about the, the risk of HIV because I think sometimes people think because we're not hearing as much about it, maybe it's gone away and maybe the risk isn't there. 
Well, it is still there. I have people coming into the Jordan Centre where we test people every day for HIV who are uh, testing positive, and they often didn't think they were at high risk. But when we ask them about uh, what, what is their behaviour, we actually find that they are high risk and they didn't realise it. Um, so it's really important for people to know to protect themselves, uh, to get an HIV test. Uh, and also there are some other options now. So you mentioned PrEP. PrEP is actually using HIV medication to prevent HIV. This is a big breakthrough, actually, in HIV prevention. Uh, so some people in Hong Kong who are in, who are in high-risk groups, people like gay men uh, who are at high risk, are starting to use PrEP medication to prevent HIV. And it is very effective. We've got, um, we're still having more than 500 uh, cases uh, diagnosed uh, every year in Hong Kong. Um, and of course, it's different now in that um, th there was a time, certainly in the early days, uh, if you caught uh, HIV, it was like a, a death sentence, yes. essentially, whereas, whereas now it's not. It's not, it's not a... Uh, you know, it's not a fatal condition. There's medication to control the the condition. Um, do you think that's contributed to perhaps to uh, some people being uh, less careful than they might otherwise have been? I think uh, the, when people are, when your friends are getting very sick and dying, as was happening in the 80s and 90s in many parts of the world, it really brings into sharp focus this risk and the the need to be careful. So I do think that having medication that keeps it under control and the fact that there aren't lots of people in Hong Kong dying of HIV-AIDS uh, does reduce the, the public concern about it. I think that's certainly true. Um, in terms of it being a death sentence, I mean, the, the truth is that around the world, maybe 700,000 people, it's estimated, each year are still dying of AIDS-related uh, diseases. So um, in Hong Kong, we fortunately got good medication available through the medical system, uh, which people get onto quickly. And, and the good news as well is that once people living with HIV have been using treatment for six months, usually they can get to what's called undetectable viral load, and it's scientifically proven that they then can't pass HIV on to anybody else. Hence, we have to get people tested and diagnosed and on treatment. Do, oh, but we're still having these new cases, so where's the problem? Is it, uh, my observation is there's an issue around consent and around people who are on PrEP and believe they have zero viral load, that they don't have to tell people about that. Do you see that's an issue? I think that... Um, that, that the issue is that quite a lot of people in their 20s and 30s don't understand that they're really at risk of HIV and that they're, they're too relaxed about, um, about these risks. They think it's other people and they've got this old stereotyped view about it being people who sleep around, people who uh, take drugs, people who are in se the sex trade, things like this. And the truth is that while there is a risk uh, from those things, uh, actually it's everyday people um, who, who are getting infected with HIV. So I think that's the really big problem. Um, so we've got to help people understand when they're in high-risk groups. So, for example, gay men are at higher risk of HIV and they need to get tested regularly. Um, so this week we're speeding up um, our HIV education campaigns to get more people to test around World AIDS Day so people can get a free HIV test by coming to AIDS Concern or going to one of the government clinics. Um, we encourage people to do that. Or if they don't want to go to a clinic, they can actually buy an HIV self-test kit and do it themselves at home. Mm. 
Yeah, I was reading the latest statement from uh, UNAIDS, the United Nations uh, AIDS uh, Agency, uh, that essentially with the world struggling with the, uh, the coronavirus pandemic, uh, and that's uh, interfering in programs uh, to to get people, um, you know, to to improve the aid, the aid situation, and that we're in danger of missing various targets. Um, so, yeah, what, what what is the picture as you see it? I think that's that's accurate. I think what UNAIDS is talking about today on World AIDS Day is trying to end inequalities in the <clears throat> HIV response. And, and what they mean by that is that particularly in countries where the healthcare system isn't as well developed, uh, often people don't get access to HIV education or testing or treatment as quickly as they could. When you have a major disruption like COVID, of course, this makes it more difficult for people to access healthcare. If you've got a woman who's been infected in sub-Saharan Africa with HIV, and she doesn't get on treatment quickly because she doesn't know she has HIV, uh, maybe she falls pregnant and, and the baby becomes HIV positive. Now, with good treatment, um, she can actually prevent her baby becoming HIV positive. So it's really important that we, we make sure that the HIV response continues. Is it uh, possible for people to get to the stage where now that they're, they're, they're totally cured, they no longer have the uh, HIV virus in their system? There are a couple of cases of people who appear to have been cured of HIV after originally having it. Um, but for most people, once they're HIV positive, they will be HIV positive for the rest of their lives because there is currently no curative treatment. Mm -hmm. the, the medication that's available now is very effective, though, in suppressing the symptoms of HIV. So if somebody, as I said, is on treatment for at least six months, usually their body responds very well, their immune system repairs, and they can live now just as long as other people. So this is an enormous breakthrough in terms of quality of life. Um, but yes, they will be on treatment for the rest of their lives. Mm. Yeah. Anna, sorry. Well, just my observation is that unfortunately all that works very well until you add drugs into the mix, mm. particularly meth and ice, which seems to throw caution to the winds in many cases. And then you have these high-risk individuals who seem to lose respect for the idea that it still is a highly contagious disease and that... Uh, their partners and their associates are, are still at high risk. Mm. So is it that the education message isn't getting through? I think it isn't getting through to everybody. Um, but the fact that people, lots of high-risk people, are being careful and taking precautions and testing shows that quite a lot of people are, are responding. I think we need to work on particular, helping particular subgroups, like the one you mentioned, people, drug users, who, um, you're right, um, sometimes when people have taken crystal methamphetamine and they go to a party, they completely forget about all the risks and stop taking any precautions whatsoever. Um, and... Truthfully, it's, I think it's not just that they're not respecting others. I think they're not respecting themselves always. Um, and I, I think that we need to to help them um, find ways to prevent HIV. So one of the ways that we, we can help them is to help them understand um, what they're involved in and what are the options available to them. But I think we can also uh, help them understand about 
PrEP medication which can stop HIV. Of course, we can keep saying to people, you need to use condoms, you need to be aware of these risks. But I think we need to use as many options to help people as we can. Okay, right. Thanks very much for coming into the studio today. Uh, Andrew Chidji there, the Chief Executive of uh, AIDS Concern Hong Kong. Um, Just before we bring the programme to uh, close, uh, a few more emails from listeners about uh, uh, other uh, topics. uh, relating to actually uh, uh, earlier topics this week, uh, this one from uh, Tim says, uh, my recollection is that the 1918 international pandemic killed more people in a second wave than its first. Uh, can you check this with the two doctors? And if that is correct, does it have uh, any bearing regarding the Omicron variant? Uh, sorry about that, Tim. That was uh, yesterday's uh, subject and it came. your, your email came in after we'd uh, concluded that. But I will keep this and the next time we talk about uh, Omicron I'll put that uh, to an expert. Um, This one from Mark. uh, More, this is about the wild uh, pig issue and uh, ways to deal with them. Mark says, uh, uh, I run on various paths through Hong Kong six days a week. Every day, like today, there are countless garbage disposals that are tipped over and scattered over the streets because of wild boars. This morning on Conduit Road, I don't think there were any cans that were not unturned, including the peak. Now the government has installed a few animal-proof trash cans on the peak, however, only a few. There are many of the orange cans uh, still up there. Why does the government not look at the root of what brings the wild boars down to our communities to feed on garbage? They come down at night and they're gone by early morning. Why does the government not install animal proof uh, trash cans throughout Hong Kong especially on trails and roads close to their habitats. Look at any city that has animal interaction within their city limits. This is not something new. I just listened to the comments of Mark concerning wild boars at night. Of course uh, they come out at night. Boars are smart and uh, the more garbage they can eat the more their young babies learn these habits and continue to eat garbage. The government is good at reacting instead of looking at many root causes. Okay, and that was from, uh, yeah, another mark. Uh, This one from Simon says, uh, who cares about wild pigs? Shoot them. There are more important issues to deal with. Pandemic, anyone? And on the uh, 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 pandemic-related matters, uh, Alonso writes, uh, in your news headlines today, you reported that Greece will fine all individuals over 60 who haven't been vaccinated. Hong Kong should follow suit. Such a move would almost certainly prompt unvaccinated Hong Kongers to bite the bullet and have their jabs. That from Alonso. Well, thank you very much to uh, all of our guests and to all of our listeners and to everybody who wrote in. And thanks to you, Anna. You're welcome. And a quick look at the weather before the news summary and morning brew. Uh, Fine. Um, very dry during the day. Top temperature around 20 degrees, moderate to fresh north to northeasterly winds. The outlook uh, fine and very dry in the next couple of days. Uh, cool in the mornings. Temperature difference between day and night will be relatively large. Still cool in the mornings over the weekend. It's currently 16 degrees. Humidity 40%. The red fire danger warning is in effect, and so is the strong monsoon signal. Every vote carries a wish for our city and our vision for our life. Over the years, a clean election culture has been our common belief. Going forward together, we will continue in our faith to build a brighter future. 
Abide by the rules. Support clean elections. Report corruption hotline 25266366. Hong Kong. Our advantage is you and the ICAC. And now the new summary with Robert Kemp. Chairman of the Equal Opportunities Commission, Ricky Chu, says the government should consider using the Octopus Card as an alternative for those who have trouble using the Leave Home Safe app. From next Thursday, the use of Leave Home Safe app becomes mandatory to all restaurants, cinemas and gyms, and writing down contact details on paper will no longer be accepted. Researchers at the University of Hong Kong say they've successfully isolated the Omicron variant from COVID-19 specimens. They say it's a crucial step towards the development of the production of vaccines against Omicron. And the celebrated French-American singer, World War II resistance member and civil rights activist Josephine Baker has been inducted into the Pantheon in Paris, alongside some of France's best-known historical figures. She's the first black woman to be accorded one of the nation's highest honours. That's the news from RTHK. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. And where oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Decipher of what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In-depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you and welcome to Wednesday. Here on The Morning Brew, I'm Phil Whelan. Well, that means composer and conductor Colin Touchin will be with us at 10.40 for our classical music chat. Today's topic, you know, some composers have decided that just singing and playing are not enough to tell a particular musical story, so they write in some words for a narrator or reciter. And a lot of times these pieces are meant for children, many of which you know, and some you're going to hear this morning. That'll be at 10.40. 11.40 today, we're going to wake up our friend Philippe Dovar from RTL France. He's still in Paris, and he will join us for more pre-dawn music and talk. Chris is busy today, so more What's Magic at 12.40 tomorrow here on The Morning Brew. I always remember Chef Jason Black used to say this song was the one when he lived in Paris, studying to be a baker. He'd wake up in the morning, crank this up. And thereafter, the day would go swimmingly. So I hope it does the same for you. Earth, wind and fire on Radio 3.